welcome to the Destiny Podcast. We hope this message blesses you. Right, let's see what we can find. Okay. Cool, you guys doing well? What time are we? Okay, we'll try not to go too long. So, I want to talk about the future. And I think, like, the future is a topic that we kind of get into this big debate and split and we kind of have these two different factions within the church that um, well you know God's predestined everything and oh no it's all free will and um, and you've probably heard of these different arguments you've maybe even been caught up in some of these uh, discussions and debates um, and they're kind of a bit fruitless at the end of the day because people will pull out their scriptures for either or um, and you know, to give you a kind of rough overview, you've got kind of this perspective that is commonly referred to as Calvinism, which is, and Calvinism has a few different points as the tulip, which is five different points. But one of them is um, this concept of predestination, that God predestines. Um, and, and so he makes people, he knows who they are, what they're gonna do, where they're gonna go ultimately. And so this is where with a, a hardline Calvinist would say, well, some people are just made to never accept God, to never be his children and to go to hell. And some people are made to be his kids and he loves them and he, he loves them for who they are and, and they'll, they will be get saved. They will make a choice to be saved, but they always were gonna make that choice to be saved. They were always gonna be in. Um, and, and so they have quite an extreme, God knows the future, he knows what's gonna happen, and he predestined it, he made it. So he made Marek and says, in the morning he's gonna do this, and then he's gonna do this, and then he's gonna do this, and something happens, and everyone's like, whoa, God's not surprised. I knew that was gonna happen. Um, and you think of an all-powerful God, you kind of think, yeah, it kind of makes sense, right? You can see where they're coming from, um, and there are scriptures uh, that seem to suggest that God knows what's gonna happen, even scriptures that seem to suggest some element of predestination, predetermining things. Um, and then you've got on the other end of the spectrum, you've got people that go, whoa, 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 I do not like that, right? And you can see why maybe some people don't like that, yeah? Like, I don't like the idea that everything in my entire life has been kind of set in stone and fixed, and I don't like that God would go, I'm gonna make you, and you'll go to hell, and I'm gonna make you, and you'll go to heaven, or I'm gonna make you, you I'll use for good. I'll be, make you, you I'm gonna use for evil. It's like, it's kind of like, it's, it's quite easy to think why people would shift to the other uh, side. Um, and you'll find most people in our kind of background of kind of charismatic, um, kind of Pentecostal, a lot of those kind of streams will lean towards free will. And, and this is called um, most commonly Arminianism. And that's um, because of this guy who basically came against Calvinism. Um, and so there was a whole bunch of different views before um, Calvin came along and laid down his five points and he said, this is it. And, and most of the church swung. So the entire Protestant church was kind of like, okay, yeah, predestination, predetermined, that's it. And so Ar Ar Arminianism was a response to that to say, well, hold on. Like, really? Everything's just set in stone? Like, we don't have any free will. We don't have any choice. Like, people aren't free to choose to love God. People aren't free to choose to get saved. People aren't free to choose to brush their teeth before breakfast or after breakfast. I mean, like, surely we are. Um, it can't all be predetermined. And so that was kind of a, a response. And again, there's a lot of scripture that seems to suggest, suggest some sort of free will, doesn't there? I mean, like, that's not a, a huge jump. There's a lot of things in the Bible that happen and it seems like God gives people choices and they do something with that choice. Um, and so there's kind of scriptures for both. So the whole, like, well, what does the Bible say is often kind of one of these arguments that, it can close some 
uh, arguments, what does the Bible say? And it's like, oh, wow, Jesus is the Son of God. That's fairly clear in there, right? You wouldn't be able to argue contrary to that easily, at least. You really have to try hard. Um, but is it predestination? Is it free will? Well, what does the Bible say? Oh, the, the only made the conversation more complex, right? It didn't make it easier. It didn't reduce our options. It just kind of got more and more confusing because some people will pick out a scripture and go, well, this clearly says this. And someone will pick out another scripture and go, well, this clearly says this. And it's just fighting back and forth over a scripture. And even if you can give the right answer to a certain scripture, then the other person will go, well, yeah, but then what about this scripture, right? And so it, it just becomes question baiting. It's, it's what's the point? Um, and so you've got these two arguments that historically have always been in place. And you yourself probably have an opinion on that, right? So um, you probably think, well, yeah, like, I get it, but I lean this way. I, I think it's more likely that God predetermines things. Well, I think it's more likely that it's free will, that we have a choice and God allows us to have that choice, that he creates us and he releases us and we choose and, and, and you know, he, he blesses our choice. And, and, and a lot of this comes in when we think about like heaven and hell, you know, like it's, it's one thing to discuss, you know, will I have, you know, will I brush my teeth before or after breakfast? That's not as significant, right? So a lot of people are like, well, yeah, it doesn't matter. Who cares? Like might be free will. Um, but when it comes down to heaven and hell, people go, well, how could God let people choose not to go to hell like, like that's crazy but then at the same time they'll be like oh but how could god make people to go to hell like, that's that's how could he be good if he made people and knew they were going to go to hell um and so there's all these kind of like it, it becomes really important when you start to take it to the the nth degree right or even hitler you're like i hope there's free will because if god intentionally made hitler and thought this guy's going to kill six million jews god's an ass right i mean like god is not a good guy Right, and on, on the surface, I'm looking at it, I'm like, well, whoever made that is an awful person, right? So you look at the predetermined thing and you're like, oh, I don't want to touch that, right? But then the free will, you kind of go, well, yeah, but like, has God got no control? Is God really that weak? Is God not able to say something? Um, and we're not going to talk about either of those views, actually. We're going to kind of start unpacking um, a third way. And I want to uh, explore this third way with you. Now, I'm not saying that this is the, the right way. I'm not saying it's what you should believe. I'm not even saying it's what I believe. I just think that we should introduce all the options. And I think this is a significant option that kind of um, creates a different way to navigate some of these themes. And so one of the biggest reasons I started studying this and looking into this more is I have historically, I, I started out quite uh, predestination, predetermined. I kind of was like, yeah, that makes sense to me. God's all powerful. He's in control. That makes sense. And then I started to think, well, yeah, but he's in, he's in control, but he's not really in control in the sense of like, he's a puppet master doing everything. He's in control as in the sense that he's above everything. So he's maybe like sovereign, but control is probably the wrong word. You know, like the queen is sovereign over all of the UK, but she doesn't like choose what every single individual does every single time. She's over everyone. She has more authority than everyone. Um, but she's not in charge of anything, right? I mean, like in the grand scheme of things, she can't do individually every single thing. Um, she could speak into anything. She could call you up and say, hey, this is the deal. That's it. And she has kind of extreme authority. And the president of the United States or whoever it is, you know, like they, they're in charge. They've got this authority or whatever. And, and they have supremacy. They, they are above all other people, whether it's voted in or God has it because he has it. Um, they have this position, but they're not tinkering everything. And so when I, as I started to explore, I'm like, that seems more biblical in the sense of when, when we see in the Bible, like 
God has, uh, is almighty, is sovereign. You know, these kind of words don't exp uh, suggest that he's doing everything. It suggests he's over everything. You know, it's like, might be your boss is your boss, but when you screw up, guess what? You're in trouble. Because he told you to go do something and then he left you to have free will and how you do it. And if you didn't do it well, he's not happy. But you know what? His boss is probably gonna speak to him about your mess up, right? He's gonna be like, well, you put Josh in charge and Josh screwed up, so that's your fault. You shouldn't have put him in charge if he wasn't qualified or, you know, and so there's a bit of like this authority element. Um, and so I think we, 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 that, that kind of shifted me away from this predestined view because I just couldn't get my head around a God who is love, but would choose to make people not to love or choose to make people that he loves, but somehow he's gonna burn in hell forever or destroy or however you look at that. Like, it just was kind of a bit of a head spin for me. I, was, I just don't get it. And I don't know how exciting it is for God to make people and then have them just like act out a predetermined plan. You know, it's like reading a book you wrote. Like, it just doesn't seem very fun, does it? Like, I don't know, I don't know about you, but I just can't imagine that, right? I can't imagine if you, if you wrote a, a movie, you'd want to watch it 40 times. I think most people that wrote a movie probably will watch it once and go, oh yeah, it went like I went, what I did it to? Or you go, oh, it wasn't as good as I thought it would be. But like, you wouldn't watch it another 40 times because you just think, oh God, it makes me feel sick, right? It's like me reading my own blogs or my book or whatever, and I'm like, oh, I don't want to read this again. <laughs> like, I don't like watching my own videos. I don't like, you know, because you know what's going to be said and all you're noticing is the little things you don't like <laughs> or whatever. Like, but I can't imagine God like writing out the plan for the entire universe, every single thing that would happen and then being in the midst of it going, this is so exciting. Like it would be boring. Um, and so, I don't know, it's just, it's just a thought. And so I, I shifted towards free will. The problem with free will is that it's not different. Like it's a totally false difference. Like we think it's different, but it's exactly the same thing. See, we, 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 we have this concept that God creates us and then we have this free will. I can choose to be saved. I can choose not to be saved. I can choose to brush my teeth at this time or not, right? I mean, you, you've got all these choices and it's wonderful, except they're not choices made by you. Like, I think the, the thing that we forget is that, yes, we are individuals, but um, science has shown, especially in the last sort of 25 years with the discovery of mirror neurons and things like that, that you are not an individual that would be you if you were in a box for your whole life, right? If I put you in a box as a baby and somehow managed to feed you and take care of your core needs and you just grew up in that box and I took you out at this age, you would not be the same person. Why? Because you are your relationships. You are the people you're connected to. I mean, that, that's just scientifically proven. It's, it's biblically kind of stated as well. Like, there's a lot of stuff to, to, to back that. And so the point is that you aren't an individual. You're like a, um, the, the, um, the academic René Girard calls it intervigils. So, you know, you're, you're a, a person, but you're a person that is made up of your relationships, your connections. Um, and so you're made up of all these connections. And so the question then is like, well, do I have free will or am I really just a product of my environment in some sense? So I'm making choices based on who my parents were. I'm making choices of what country I was born in. I'm making choices based on what school I went to. I'm making choices based on, do I know God growing up or don't I? And so, you know, like you say, well, you've got free will. You can choose to accept Jesus or not. Well, that's great if I was born in the Southern uh, states in America 
going to a Baptist church. I was born into a white family of middle-class privilege that has been Christian for the last 10 generations. That's great, right? My choice to choose Jesus or not seems like I'm really set up for some good choices there, right? But what if I'm born in um, Afghanistan in October 2001 and I've never really been exposed to Christianity and Christians have just bombed my city, my town, they killed all my family, and now they've invaded my country, and they're telling me that you have to live by our governmental way. Do you think I'm inclined to be excited about that God? Do you think I'm inclined to choose Jesus? I have free will, I could choose Jesus or not. But I feel like I'm being set up a little bit not to, right? Or what if you were born on a remote island that has never even encountered people 2,000 years ago? Are they going to get saved? Are they free to choose Jesus or not? And we can say, well, yeah, no, but God might send them like a vision or an angel. Or, yeah, and that's true. And that stuff happens as well, which is unbelievable. Like so cool. I, I had some amazing stories. I, I'll, I'll tell you a story just as a side, right? When I was in the Middle East, this guy, um, he, he showed me this advert in a newspaper. And he, he kind of translated it, explained what it was saying. But he was saying... Um, it basically had this picture of this guy in a, in a robe with a beard, and it says, have you seen this man in a dream? Has he identified himself as Jesus? If so, call your imam. <laughs> and basically what they're saying is like, people are having dreams of Jesus, and we don't want them to get saved into Christianity, so quickly call your mosque leader, and they'll talk to you and explain, well, yeah, that's one of our prophets, and like, it's all about Islam, it's all about Muhammad, and they'll quickly like, course correct it, right? Make sure you don't get saved. So this stuff's happening all, I mean, it's happening enough that they're putting ads in papers, right? So I mean, this stuff is happening all over the world. And it's amazing. So I don't want to take away God injecting himself into those scenarios. But there's still a lot of scenarios where you think some people are not gonna choose God. Is that really free will? Couldn't God have just said, well, them, I'll, I'll have them be born in Manchester in England and go to and live five minutes away from this amazing church. That might be a real, benefit that might boost your thing or what if we just go even further down what if you god goes maybe i'll make that person a little less stubborn maybe i'll make that person a little bit more spiritually open maybe i'll uh make that person a bit more intellectual or a bit less intellectual depending on which you think might help but what we say is ultimately at the end of the day this god who knows everything right because god is all-knowing made you a certain way and then sent you in to have free will, but he knows who you are and he knows everything and he knows the situations you'll face and therefore he kind of knows what you're gonna choose. You might have free will, you might choose it yourself, but he knew and he could have in certain situations gone, so if I make Timon a little bit less this, then he'll do a little bit more of this in that situation. So really, ultimately, when you start tearing apart these layers of the free will option, you're left kind of with the same thing as the predestination. God's still a bit of an ass, right? Because he's still setting people up for some pretty rubbish situations. He's still setting people up to go to hell for eternity based on, ah, I didn't feel like making him more spiritual, right? I mean, if that's what it boils down to, like, oh, I really liked him as quite a bit of strong, stubborn-headed guy. And it's like, yeah, but now he's going to hell forever. Well, he had free will. And it's like, no, you made him really stubborn, right? You know, or, oh, you're, you, I don't know, let this tragedy befall their family or whatever it might be, right? And so all these different things, you start to go, I'm not so sure about this free will thing either. Because is there free will? Can there be free will? 
And so then I started to explore a bit more and I was like, well, what could there be? Like, how could free will exist? And um, I want to read you a few scriptures and just see what you think about these, um, these scriptures. Let me just grab my water. Don't you know if you've noticed, there are some really funny scriptures in the Bible where you're like, that just doesn't fit my script, my theology. Do you ever do that when you're reading through the Bible and you just hit something and you're like, I can either keep reading quickly and stay the same, or I can stop and look at this verse a few more times, but I'm probably going to have to come away changing something I believe, right? Do you ever do that? And sometimes I'm honest, I keep reading. I'm just like, I don't think I can deal with that right now. But every now and again, you stop and you're like, this verse really messes with everything I believe in. So let me read you a few um, verses. In fact, oh my gosh, there's so many. Um, there are so many. I will give you some verses and you can check them out later. <laughs> so you know I'm not lying to you. Um, I'll read the first couple anyway. Um, but there are, these are just the times, okay, so we'll go through a few different categories. But these are just the times that God changes his mind okay so stop and evaluate do you have a theology for god that goes ah no i don't want to do that anymore i'll do something different like a god who totally changes his mind like that doesn't fit in either camp neither camp have a theology of a god who can change his mind because he knows the end from the beginning he's, he's he never changes right i mean this is a god who never changes um and so we have in Exodus 32, 14, it says, so the Lord changed his mind about the harm he said he would do to his people. So you've got God, he's like, I'm going to kill them all. And we're like, oh, please don't. Like, what will they say about you? They'll say you're a really bad God. And he's like, that's a good point. Never mind. I won't kill everyone. That's, that's literally how the story goes down. Like, he's like, I'm going to kill everyone. And Moses is like, well, you just saved everyone. People are going to speak badly about you. They'll be like, that's the God that saves everyone and then just loses his temper and kills everyone. And, and, and he talks God down, right? And God's like, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, okay. Never mind. I've changed my mind, right? And like, you look at that and you're like, kind of messes with my theology a little. Like, just a little bit. Some random guy goes, God, that's a really bad idea. In fact, it's stupid. They're going to call you a weak God. They're going to call you a bad God. And God's like, oh, you're right. Like, I mean, did he not know that? Had he not foresaw that that might be an option? Did he not even just know that Moses would point that out? Like, what's going on? Or, and then what most people do is, like, oh, he was testing Moses, right? But there's more and more and more of these, right? So you've got um, Numbers 14, 11, Deuteronomy uh, 9, 13 through 14. I can give you a list of these at the end. Don't worry about it. Writing them all down perfectly. Deuteronomy 9, 18 through 20. 1 Samuel 2, 29 through 30. 2 Kings 20, 1 through 6. 1 Chronicles 21, through 5, uh, 21, 15. Jeremiah 18, 7 through 11. Jeremiah 26, 3. Um, and I mean, these are constantly in there. Like, you know, Jeremiah 26, uh, 3. Perhaps they'll listen and everyone will turn away from this evil way that I may repent of the calamity which I'm planning to do to them because of their evil deeds. So God's saying, it, I really hope maybe they'll change their minds and then I'll repent. God is saying, I hope I repent. Like God is saying he needs to repent and he hopes that the situation happens that he can repent. Like this is all the way through scripture. God going, oh, I want to change my mind. I hope I can change my mind. I might change my mind even times where he does change his mind. Ezekiel 33, 13 through 16, Ezekiel 20, 21 through 22, Amos 7, 1 through 6. Think about the story of Jonah, right? God changes his mind. He sends Jonah and says, 
tell these people in Nineveh that it's about to get real, right? Things are going to go down and it's not going to be good for them. But then they all repent. And Jonah's like mind blown. He's like, what just happened? And God forgives him. He changes his mind. Um, what about this, right? The scriptures here where God has regret. Get your head around that. God regrets. Do we have a concept of a God that can regret something? Like, if God is unchanging, if God knows the end from the beginning, he knows everything that will ever happen, can he regret something? Could you regret an action if you knew what was going to happen? Like, right, Genesis 6, 6, and it says, and the Lord was sorry, he regretted that he had made man on the earth. He was grieved in his heart. Like, God made man. Like, did he not know that things would go badly? So how can he suddenly go, oh man, this is so crap. I, uh, I regret this. I wish I hadn't done this. Like, it's kind of crazy, right? First Samuel uh, 15, 10 through 11 and uh, Ezekiel 22, 29 through 31 has God regretting again. He regrets throughout the scriptures. Like he has this very human emotion, a very real emotion that suggests that the future might not be set in stone necessarily. There's scriptures where God is surprised. Jeremiah 3, 6 through 7 and Jeremiah 3, 19 through 20. Um, in it, God is like completely shocked and surprised. He's like, well, what's going on? And you're like, how can God be surprised? Again, it's like the scenario of if God wrote a whole movie and then watched the movie, I can't imagine him going, whoa, the main character just died. You know, like he's like, no, he wrote that. He directed it. He filmed it. Like, why is he surprised? But God is surprised. There's, there's moments where God has this moment of like, <gasps> there's moments where God doesn't know what people are going to do. He explicitly says, I have no idea what's going to happen next. So 1 Kings 22, 20 through 22, Jeremiah 7, 31, Jeremiah 19, 5, uh, Jeremiah 32, 35. Um, and he says, like, I, I have no idea what's going on. Like, check this out. Um, uh, in Jeremiah 19, he's, he's rebuking people for um, having these these offerings to false gods and he says uh, they've built uh, the high places of Baal to burn their kids in the fire as burnt offerings to Paul a thing which I never commanded or spoke of in fact it never even entered my mind he's like I never even imagined you could do this he's he's genuinely like I, I didn't even think this was possible and you just did it and this is God the God you know the God that knows everything all-knowing, that's a big factor to a lot of people. It really needs to be all-knowing. So scriptures all the way through, God doesn't know what people will do. And the scriptures a lot of time that God tests people to figure out what their heart is like. Which again, you're like, doesn't he know what's in your heart, right? There's lots of scriptures that say that. He knows your heart. But then the scriptures again and again and again where he's like, I'm going to test this person so I can see what their heart's like. And you're like, what the heck? So again, Gen Genesis 22, 12, Exodus 16, 4, Deuteronomy 8, 2, Deuteronomy 13, thir uh, 1 through 3, Judges 2, 12, 21 to 22, 2 Chronicles 32 through 31. And the scriptures, again, and it's, I'm, I'm blasting threes, I know, but like, I'll study them, look into them, um, and just ponder them. Because they're, they're the sort of scriptures that you think, I'm not sure I can believe exactly what I believe about God in light of some of this stuff. Um, but the scriptures here that says God shows uncertainty about the future. 
So in Exodus 4, 9, Exodus 13, uh, 17, Numbers 14, 11, um, Hosea 8, 5, Jeremiah 38, 17 through 18 and 20, uh, Ezekiel 12, 1 through 3. Um, but like, I'll just pick a couple out of random. Um, Numbers 14, 11, and God said to Moses, how long are people going to spurn me? And how long will they not believe in me? Despite all the signs I've performed in their midst. He's asking Moses, how long is this going to go on? Like, I, like he's losing his rag and he's going, how long is it going to be? I, I, I'm not sure whether this is going to take five years, 10 years, 20 years. You could say, well, he's using a, a, exaggerated language, but he's using exaggerated language in all of these. Very unlikely. When you start to look into it, it's not very likely. So God has this uncertainty about the future at times. So what's my point in bringing up those verses? It's not to say um, God doesn't know the future or God does know the future. It's to say there's, for every scripture you can go, it's all predestined. And for every scripture you can go, well, it's all free will. There's scriptures in there that say God doesn't actually even know, right? Which we immediately push under the rug because we don't like that because that feels scary. A God who doesn't know the future. Um, but this kind of opens up a third way, a, a third understanding of the nature of God. Um, because as much as there are some scriptures that talk about God being all-knowing, there are plenty of scriptures that suggest he chooses not to know everything. Um, and these are great examples. There's other examples as well where God goes, I'm going to choose not to know. Um, and, and this concept is uh, a concept called open theism. And open theism suggests that whilst God has the capacity to know all, he chooses not to for the sake of relationship. And so he chooses not to know what you'll do next so he can be with you in that moment. And it's a God who chooses not to live um, above and beyond and, and over creation, but actually chooses to invest and become part of creation right this moment. And so he's not um, watching from heaven going, oh, I've seen this one. It's a good one. I'm really looking forward to watching this. He goes into creation. He becomes the I am, the person that is there in the moment. And he goes, I have no idea what's going to happen next, but I am excited. Or, oh, I really regret that we did that, right? Really regret that that was the choice you made. Or, whoa, I'm surprised. That's the option you chose? And, and that concept is scary. At first, you hear that and you think, well, this is a God who is out of control, right? I mean, how do you manage that, right? That's a scary thought. Because I think a lot of it boils down to how we see the future ourselves. Very few of us can look into the future without starting to worry, without starting to have doubts, without starting to have stress, anxiety, right? Because the future is so unknowable in some ways, right? Even if you're good at planning out your life, you've probably lived long enough by this point to realize your plans don't always work out very well. And even when they do, it's not exactly what you thought it would be. Um, and so we look at you know, our day and we go, how many possibilities are there? There's hundreds and thousands and probably millions of variations of how our day could go based on the little things we do or the little things that happen to us around the day. You know, Each of you could have chose to sit in a different chair one of you could have been five minutes late. One of you could have been five minutes early. You know, all these different variations can have a massive impact on me, never mind you. And that's not even bringing my choices into the, play, to, to the playing field. You know, it's, it's your choices. And so all these little differences can cause us real stress when we start to think about the future. 
And especially if we start to go, well, God doesn't know these different choices, and he doesn't know it for seven billion people, right? That suddenly gets really stressful. Um, and, and a lot of it boils down to the fact that we are extremely finite. Like our minds are extremely limited. Um, and they're the most astonishing uh, computing power on the planet right now, for, for now, not for much longer. Um, but they are the most powerful thing on the planet as far as comp computational power. And yet still, they're pretty limited. You know, so a good example of this would be a chess game. Do you, any of you play chess? No? Yeah? Um, if you're playing chess, you make a move, right? You've got a variety of options, a few options um, uh, afforded to you, depending on how early on it is. But say it's right at the beginning, you've got a few options, and you can choose what way you move. Now, when you move, you're already thinking, what will the person do? So because I do this, they'll probably do this. And you probably have a good idea of what their best move to do would be, based on what you would do, probably, right? But you also are thinking, well, they might do that. And they might also do that, right? And you're thinking of a few variations, but there's not that many choices, right? Because you've kind of forced their hand by making a certain move. And then you, th but you're not only thinking, what will they do? You're thinking, well, what will I do if they do one of those options, right? And so you're kind of starting to handle a few variations. And even if you go back two, three, maybe four times, some people could do, you know, three, four, five times if they're lucky. Um, by the time you do that, there's 20, 30, 40, 50 variations, right? Of what could happen. Um, and if someone does something completely out of the left wing, right, they just chuck a pawn out somewhere and you're like, whoa, that was not part of my processing. I wasn't arranging every, all my thoughts ready for that, right? And so the average person can probably only do that back and forth in their head a few times. A chess grandmaster can do 13 back and forths. And the variations at that point are sometimes up in the hundreds and almost thousands, right? I mean, it's a huge amount of variations of what could happen. And they're juggling all these in their head. I mean, it's pretty amazing, right? That's why they're grandmasters, right? They're good at what they do. But something happened, uh, I don't know actually when this was, 60s, 70s, 80s, I don't know, where they taught a computer to play chess and it changed everything, right? Because all of a sudden, the best chess player in the world would lose every single time. Couldn't win can't beat a computer. Why? Because it could know every single choice that you could make and it would know every single time what the best choice to make for it would be. It would always be infinite steps ahead. So if, even if you've got 13 steps, it's going, well, yeah, but I know what the 14th and 15th step is. Like, I know all the options. And, and grandmasters couldn't beat computers. They were struggling to beat computers. And it, it, oftentimes they'd maybe get a, um, a stalemate or something. Like, but that was it. Like, you know, they just couldn't beat these things. And eventually they, they would figure out how to beat com computers. And a lot of it was to do with like, the illogical and the things that they, the, the computers weren't uh, considering and stuff like that, um, which is fascinating. Um, but the point is, I get stressed when I'm playing chess because I'm not very good, right? A grandmaster, not stressed until a computer comes into the play and then he gets stressed, right? The computer, how stressed is it? Aside from the fact it can't feel emotions, right? It's not, it, it, it knows what to do. There's nothing you can throw at it where it goes, oh, don't know what to do now. And so like, this is kind of the variation that we see. Like, we look at life and go, I don't know what's gonna happen next. And we go, oh, that's a stressful, panic-filled disaster, right? I can maybe look at you know, uh, someone's life and go, I've got a rough idea what they'll do if I give them an option. If I said, do you want to go out for lunch? Where do you want to go? I've got a good idea that you really like to go to that burger place. 
but I also know you really like the chicken place, and I do know you like pizza, right? But I know it's probably gonna be one of those three options. It's very unlikely you're gonna say, let's go get curry, right? So I can have a few options of like, I think I know that person fairly well. But when they go, oh, let's get Mexican, I'm like, whoa, where did that come from? I didn't even know you like Mexican, right? I hadn't even thought of it. Um, so I might have a, a rough idea of some of the probabilities, but I'm still very capable of being shocked or surprised because I don't know all the options. And that's for someone else. I don't even know the options for me sometimes, right? I shock myself sometimes with my choices. God doesn't do that. So the concept of an open theism is not that this God is weaker or is somehow less powerful. In some senses, God suddenly becomes more powerful because rather than playing to a pre-written book where he's just working along a script that he's already written, like in predetermination, predestination, or even kind of like in free will where he's like, oh, well you choose, but he kind of knows what you're gonna choose, right? Because he knows the future and he knows who he made you to be. So he's kind of like, well, I know what you're gonna do. Um, with that, it's kind of just walking along to a predetermined script. With this, it's suddenly like, it's a, did you ever have choose your own adventures when you were a kid? Did you have these? They were books and you'd open and you'd read the first page and it would say, you know, to, you hear a noise in the dungeon, to open the door, you know, turn to page 24, to draw your sword and open a door, turn to page 30, you know, to run away, turn to page 40. And then you turn the page, right? And I always like about five goes in, it always ended up like, you are dead. And I was like, and I'm like, what choices should I have made, right? But did you ever read those as a kid? Me too young, never mind. Um, but I loved these as a kid because it was just like, this, you don't know what's going to happen next. And the truth is, the author doesn't know what's going to happen next either. They know the possibilities, but they don't know what you will choose. But the author would never have not had an eventuality. He wrote out all the options and he knows what's going to happen. And he knows ultimately it will end up in you winning the quest or dying in one of a thousand different ways. And that felt like my odds, one in a thousand, right? So probably wasn't. Um, but God is a bit like that. He, he knows every single possibility, every single option. And he knows even the probabilities, right? So he knows you better than you know yourself. So when you're faced with a situation and it's, what will you do next? He kind of has a good idea, but you might surprise him. You might even do something that regrets, right? I mean, these kind of moments in scripture, he's like, oh, I regret that it's gone this way. But he's big. He still goes, but I know what to do if this happens. And every single choice you make, see for us, each choice takes ages just to think about each choice. What would happen if I did that? What would happen if I do this? What? This is why like when someone goes like, you know, what do you want to do today? Like a lot of us just kind of shut down. We're like, oh my gosh, there's too many options. Could you not have at least given me like a choice between two things? But now I'm like, what do I want to do today? I could do anything, right? I, I don't do well with decisions. Um, but like, you know, it's, you could do anything. And it's like, oh, there's so many. I need to think if I go to a park, what will it be like? What's the weather? What am I gonna feel? What will I wear? Oh, well, if I go out to like, you know, a cinema, well, what do I wanna watch? What's out? Or oh, I've seen that. And what well, do I even like that? What if I don't like it? You know, all these choices start bubbling up to the surface. Whereas for God, he's infinite, right? So every choice you make every moment of the day, he could have spent eternity thinking about that one choice. What if Josh does that one thing? Oh, I spent billions of years planning a strategy for that one. Or does he even need time? Because he's so big, right? I mean, he probably doesn't even need any time, right? He's just like, well, I just know what to do in that situation. And so suddenly, just like when the person sits down to play chess with a computer, they might do some wild moves and crazy choices. The computer's going, I don't really care. I'm still going to win. Because I know no matter what you do, I've got a good response. I've got a good way to steer this. And it's the same for God in the, in the concept of open theism. No matter what you do, he knows what to do next. 
he will turn all things for good, like he says. Like, it's fine. You can screw up and I'll just sit down and be like, right, that was a bummer that that's what happened, but it's okay. I'm here still, not going anywhere. Let's think about what to do next. What do you think? Right. Well, that's probably a bad idea too, so let's talk about it a bit more. <laughs> maybe I'll bring someone along to have a conversation with you, or maybe I'll, I'll, I'll whisper something into your ear. Maybe I'll give you a dream. Maybe I'll give you a vision. Maybe I'll send an angel. But let's really try and course correct this, right? Um, but he's always there, and he always knows what's best. He knows how to turn things around for best. And, and he knows even if you keep choosing bad choices, he knows how to bring it back. Um, but... So rather than having a weaker God, because a lot of people go, well, this is like just a weak God who doesn't know the future. It's actually, in some ways, this is a God who is way more secure with himself, way more powerful, way more, um, in some way, by relinquishing control, he's, he's kind of made a statement of like how in control he is, right? It's a, you guys can do what you want, but I know this is going to go my way ultimately, right? And so... It's, it's a fascinating concept because it suddenly allows us to redefine relationship with God, who God is, who we are, our journey, um, our prayer life, prophecy, all these different spiritual disciplines um, that have a certain way of working out in a predestined kind of view, right? If someone gives you a prophecy and predestination and they say, you're going to be a great actor, you go, all right, I'll be a great actor, right? I mean, there's not much you have to work on that because God just told you and God knows all things and he makes all things happen. So I guess it will happen, right? In free will, someone gives you that word and you go, right, I better get to work. I better try hard and, you know, like, you know, start thinking because oh, my, my choices matter, my, you know, but ultimately, he knows the future. So he knows it's going to happen, but it's based on my actions. So I need to do some stuff, but ultimately, it'll come about. With open theism, suddenly prophecy is like, oh, wow. He's, he's said that this is, the, this is something that it could be in your future, but the, the emphasis is on this could be in your future. What are we going to do? How are we going to get there? What route do you want to take? Do you want to go the short road or the long road? Do you want to go the easy road or the painful road? In prayer, prayer suddenly becomes extraordinarily meaningful. Because I, I can never, like, prayer is one of my kind of complex topics where I'm like, what are we doing? Because in predestination, I don't know what we're praying for. Like, why do you pray ever if you believe everything is predestined? Oh God, I pray that my Uncle Bob gets saved. Well, if you've predestined it, and then if you have, well, don't bother with that prayer. Um, but then if you haven't predestined it, I guess I don't pray that you get saved. Right? I mean, like, how do you even pray for a loved one to get saved if God's already predestining or not? And in the free will, you pray and you're like, well, it's all about free choice. So why do I pray my cousin Bob gets saved? Because now I'm just praying that God somehow manipulates him out of his free will. God, I pray that everyone has free will, but not that guy who's not saved yet. Take away his free will so he gets saved and then give it back to him. Right? So you're like, what's going on? But suddenly in an open theistic um, view, prayer becomes extraordinarily relevant and powerful because it is you and God doing life today. What is happening next? Good idea to pray, right? Because this could go any way. And God will make it all turn around for good, but it'd be really good if he didn't have too much to turn around, right? Let's not give him too much to work towards good. Let's maybe just have some good initially. And, and, and it's a beautiful concept, a beautiful concept. I, I, I'm very intrigued by the whole concept of Wolfman theism. I, I really, I find it fascinating, really alluring. I'm not saying I'm there particularly yet. I, I'm still like 
entertaining all the different options, but I find it really attractive in the sense of the relational aspect of you and God is beautiful, it's stunning, and it looks a lot like what the writers talk about in the New Testament, really does, of it's no longer I that live, it's Christ in me. It's us going on the journey. It's me and God doing day to day to day. So something comes about and it's instead of what would Jesus do, it's like, Jesus, what should we do, right? God, what is it that we are gonna do in this moment? It, it brings you and God into a unity unlike the other two options, where God is aloof and he overlooks things and he goes, well, that's what's gonna happen next and that's what that person will do next. Instead, he's there, he's present. He is the I am, the, the I am of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? That, that concept of he is um, the God. So that concept of I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is not saying I'm the God of the past, it's saying I'm the God who's present with Abraham, present with Isaac, present with Jacob, but I'm also present with you. It's, it's not saying I am the God of their past or whatever. He's saying I'm the God who is present with anyone. In any point, I am here, I am now, I am. In fact, that word I am is, is ultimately breath. I don't know if you've come across this before. It's, it's, it's beautiful. And um, this is a huge tangent, but let's do it anyway. Um, that word for I am uh, is, is this word Yahweh. But in the, in the Hebrew, there's no vowels. It's just Yahweh. And, and people say it's so sacred, you can't say the vowels and all these different things. But largely, no one knows how to say it. Yahweh is just a, a choice, but it's not how you necessarily say it. And actually, the, the most um, Hebrew scholars um, would say that these Jewish um, rabbis and priests uh, and, and leaders would say that this word, Yahotaveh, like that word is a sound of breath. And so when God says to Moses, hey, blah, blah, and Moses goes, who are you? Who will I say is this God? God replies, what's he saying? I'm your breath. I am the thing that gives you life. I am the thing that's here. It's that thing of Adam, God breathed breath into the dust and he became life. Jesus, when he sends the disciples, doesn't he? He breathes breath into, he breathes into them. What's it saying? It's saying that God is here, he's in you. He says, your very breath. In fact, if you think about it, the first thing a baby does when it's born is what? Breathe. It's the first thing it has to do to be alive. So the first thing a baby does is it declares God's name. And the last thing you do before you die is what? You take your last breath. And so, Life is just saying God's name every single moment of the day, and life ends when you stop saying, yeah, And so it's all about God being present, being in. That, that name, I am, is just your breath. I am here, I am in you, I'm with you. And so again, I, I, the beauty of this concept of open theism is, is this, it puts God very present, very now, very here, saying, what are we gonna do next? He's as excited about the future as you are. And he shares your surprise, he shares your regret, he shares your sadness, he shares your happiness. Because 
he isn't interested in just playing out a pre-recorded play. He's much more interested in creating a creation that is creating. He creates people and goes, go forth and create. Do what I would do and I'll be with you. And he sometimes gets really bummed out by the choices we make. But he also gets really excited by the choices we make. And I think this is the beauty is that God never made people to be robots to play out according to a script. He made people to be image and likeness of him, to live out who he is. And, you know, I think about that and even just think of, if we're made in the image of God, how many of us like boredom? Right? I mean, that's not something people seek after. I like being quiet and relaxed and having a chill day, but I don't like being bored. I always still want to enjoy my time. I want to meditate. I want to read. I want to watch something on TV. Like, boredom isn't exciting to the human. We, we, we long for fun, for adventure, for surprise, for excitement. We love all these qualities. So if we're made in the image of God, why would God create an entire existence in which he had none of those things? He didn't have excitement and, and adventure and, and plot twists and right, all these things that we love as humans made in the image of God, God then chooses not to have for eternity. It seems a bit boring. And so I, I think there's, there's a lot of interesting elements um, to be said for um, this view of open theism. And so, you know, again, we've got these three views of like being very predetermined and fixed, having free will, but in some sense, if God knows the future, are you really free? Um, and then you've got this other concept of, yes, it's free will, but actually it's free will because God goes, I don't know what you're going to do next. I'm going to chuck you in the middle of this place, and I probably have very good idea what you're going to do next. I'm God, and I know you better than you know yourself, and I know the situation, so I've got a good idea what to do. So it's not to say God's out of control either. Like I mean, he's, he's a fairly good idea of what's going to happen and how to weave it together, but he still creates room. And he chooses to go, I'm not going to know the day by day by day. And a lot of open theists say, look, this is not about God not knowing the future. It's about him choosing to not know the future in certain areas. So God still knows in the end, every knee, and tongue, or every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. You know, he knows I'm going to work it all together for good. He knows, you know, like it's going to go really badly for Satan and really good for me and my people. Right. Um, but he chooses to go, but I have no idea the day by day by day how it's going to work out. Um, it fascinates me. And so I'm not saying that you should believe open theism. I'm not saying you have to believe it or this is you know, something you have to adhere to. But what I do want you to do is not get caught up in this, um, I have to land one way, shape or form on the side of predetermined free will. Um, and maybe you've even asked some of the questions that I've asked about free will when you do, because I think free will is a, a better option than predetermined. I think it creates more room for a loving God. I think it creates more room for us to have individuality but when I start digging deep I'm like well God's not that loving still and we're not that free to have individual lives either and so that led me to kind of explore other options and so my challenge to you is explore other options look into it more um, consider what that would look like and so I don't know what that looks like for you. It might look like over the next couple of weeks, you go, God, I'm going to live as though that is true. Or I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to look through those scriptures that Phil gave us and kind of consider them or whatever it might look like. It could, could look like a whole host of different things, but um, there is no harm in um, opening up your worldview to what could be and, and who could God be like and how could God be like. Like that's a good thing to open up 
and, and go on the journey with God, right? If God's with you, like, I, I really doubt you're going to get in too much trouble if you're genuinely every day going, God, I'm going to live as though there is no set in stone future, but me and you make the future. What are we going to do next, right? Because if your hope is in God changing the world and God making the world a better place and God transforming the world, and all of a sudden you go, oh, but he hasn't set that in stone. He's just said, let's do that together. All of a sudden, you take a lot more responsibility. All of a sudden, you get a lot more involved, right? Um, because there's an active participation in this whole thing. It's, it's us, me and God. No longer me, but Christ in me. It's, it's me and Jesus doing stuff together. No longer am I doing it, what shall I do? It's what shall we do, right? Totally different way to see things. I don't see it as myself. I see it as us. We'll stop there anyway, but just some stuff to ponder, mull over, um, but yeah. Thank you for listening to the iDestiny podcast. For further information, check out www.